everyone. Welcome to episode eight of Truck Safe Live, the monthly show where we and our guests tackle the hot button issues impacting highway safety. I'm Brandon. This is Jared. Hey, everybody. We are with Truck Safe and Childress Law, both of which are dedicated to helping motor carriers develop and maintain cutting edge safety programs. Jared, it's almost the most wonderful time of the year. Indeed it is. March Madness. Spring. March Madness was what I had in mind. (laughs) I'm thinking spring. So tired of the cold right now. Both wonderful. Uh, Although my Butler Bulldogs just lost lost out in their uh, Big East conference. So it's a little disappointing. That was a rough one. Yeah, we were watching that before we got started here. So too bad for that. Uh, Oh, well. Maybe we'll (laughs) return to their glory days here soon enough. Hey, today's show is all about insurance. Uh, Hope you're ready with all of your questions and thoughts uh, about this riveting topic. Um, I know our guests at least think it's riveting. They love talking about this. So we're looking forward to to getting into the weeds a little bit and uh, talk about this issue. It's a huge issue for many motor carriers, if not all motor carriers. Um, but before we get there, wanted to hit on some uh, some recent news in the industry. It's been a busy few weeks since our last show. There's been quite a few new regulatory developments that I think are worth talking about. So, Yeah, certainly. The FMCSA, relatively speaking, has been pretty active as of late. Um, first of which, we'll, we'll give you a couple of updates regulator- from a regulatory standpoint, but at the same time, keep in mind on our website, trucksafeconsulting.com, you can go to the actual uh, resources tab or the articles tab and see articles on a lot of these if you want a more substantive update on these regulatory updates here. But uh, first of all, uh, we got a notice of proposed rulemaking on oral fluid testing meaning the FMCSA is going to start allowing oral fluid testing or urine testing. So the 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 gist of that is um, urine testing was seen as something that could be cheated um, in creative, creative ways. And <laughs> I, I had I had some dude call me one time uh, seeking legal help. He had purchased some fake urine off the Internet and uh, had tried to pass that on uh, as, as his urine in a drug test. And he wanted some help. I said, I don't think there's going to be anything I could do for you. So, yeah, it's definitely an issue. That was me, but thank you for not <laughs> providing the details there. Um, <laughs> so we've got that. That one, and then also we've got a final rule doing away with the annual certificates of violation. So, for a very long time, I mean, this has been kind of a duplicative thing that motor carriers have had to go through doing their annual MVR, and then also the annual cert- certification of violation. So, um, common sense, final rule on this: getting rid of the annual certificates of violation. Uh, but there is an interesting jurisdictional wrinkle. Yeah. So, uh, aside from doing away with the annual certificate of violation, the rule also kind of sneaks something in on motor carriers. It looks like it's kind of relaxing the rules, but you got to watch out for the new requirement, which is, um, you know, under the new, under the existing rule, motor carriers have an obligation to both at the time of hiring and then annually thereafter check the MVRs for all of their drivers in any state in which they have been licensed. So when you're hiring on a driver, you got to obtain an MVR going back three years from any state in which that driver has been licensed. And then annually thereafter, you have have to run an MVR uh, in any state in which a particular driver has been licensed. The new rule says that not only do you have to run an MVR in any state in which the driver has been licensed, but if your driver happens to have been licensed in Canada or Mexico, you also have to run an MVR in in those countries uh, and to get a, a full picture of their driving history, not only in the U.S. states, but also in Canada and Mexico. So that's something to look out for if you have uh, driver who have been licensed in Canada or Mexico uh, before they they come and operate for you. Good news and bad news. It can't all be good news. No, you can't. It's give and take. Give and take. One thing that is all good news is a delay in the Canadian ELD enforcement. So uh, we got an additional six months uh, extending out to January 2023 for Canadian ELD enforcement. So all good news for those carriers that have cross-border operations, most definitely. Yeah. So uh, that's just some of the news that's been happening recently, but that's obviously not why we're here today. We're here today to talk about insurance. Before we do, Jared, you want to talk about our sponsor of this show? Yeah, I want to say a quick thank you to Idelic, um, our sponsor of today's show. Uh, the Idelic Safety Suite is the trucking industry's premier end-to-end driver performance management platform built specifically for fleet professionals. 
With Safety Suite, you can consolidate your existing driver data and systems into one location, analyze it with proprietary machine learning models, and take action on hidden insights, all within one streamlined platform. Their advanced AI-based driver watch list combined with an industry-leading integration network and proven driver training plans makes Safety Suite the most proactive and effective way to prevent crashes, reduce turnover, which is huge, decrease liability, and lower insurance costs. So check them out online at idelic.com. All right. Thanks to Idelic for sponsoring this episode. So again, topic of today is uh, navigating the modern fleet insurance market. So commercial insurance, as everybody watching probably knows, is uh, one of the larger, tends to be one of the larger operating expenses for most motor carriers, if not the largest operating expense. Uh, it continually ranks in the top 10 list of, of industry issues. We saw that recently in the ATRI study. Um, uh, insurance cost and insurance availability is again in the top 10 list. Um, and that's mostly because of the skyrocketing premiums that motor carriers almost universally across the board have experienced uh, in the past five or so years um, with, uh, you know, some insurers even leaving the market. So we're seeing less supply uh, of insurance out there and that's contributing to it. Um, but that's kind of what we wanted to, to get into today. Um, with our guest. Yeah, absolutely. It's while it may be in the top 10 list uh, of, of industry issues, it's, it's in the top five, definitely of the grumbling issues that you hear from clients. Most definitely is rising premiums. Um, it's a real, uh, it's a real thing. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, ATRI study today, or we're going to fo focus a lot on it probably. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was the impact of rising insurance costs on the trucking industry. It was issued February, 2022. I learned a ton from reading this study. It was fantastic. Yeah. I didn't actually realize how many insurers have left the commercial auto space because it's difficult to turn a profit. Yeah, it's just crazy. I, you know, I feel like we've every show now we're talking about a different ATRI study, but they've been just pushing out tremendous reports. If you haven't read this one, go get this one. It's again called "The Impact of Rising Insurance Cost on the Trucking Industry." Uh, the the uh, American Transportation Research Institute undertook this study. Uh, they just published it in uh, last month, in fact, and it's just a great read as to some factors that are contributing to higher insurance cost and what motor carriers are are doing about. It. Uh, just some interesting stats that that um, we saw from this report. So uh, let's see here. What do we got? So uh, number one, uh, kind of a look at uh, insurance premium uh, cost looked at on kind of a per mile basis. And this is over time. So you can see here uh, back in 2010, we were at a approximately $0.05, cents, 5.4 cents per mile. And that's just gone up like crazy up to over $0.08 cents per mile uh, in 2020. Um, despite the fact that, you know, over that same time, uh, uh, crash instances and crash severity have gone up, but not nearly as dramatically as the cost of insurance over that same time period. And then if you just look at the um, average auto liability premiums uh, across fleet sizes, it's just crazy the the uh, increases over time you could see a very large fleet is paying in 2020 an average of over 12 million dollars in auto liability premiums versus uh, uh, about 7 million uh, in 2018 you can see it's uh, less for large large fleets and then if we look at medium and, and small fleets still pretty dramatic increases over that same time period yeah certainly um, talking about you know, some of the reasons why that disparity might exist, um, the, the correlation between crashes and rising premiums. That's the type of thing that we're going to focus on today. And we, we brought in some guests that are fantastic that are, that are going to have a lot of insights to talk about here, but we are going to focus a lot on the ATRI study, like we said. Um, and, and I love these ATRI studies. We keep coming back to them, but the, you know, ATRI lives by, you know, kind of my code, which is in God we trust, but everyone else bring data. Um, and so <laughs> lots of data, very rich, uh, dense report. It's 45 pages long, but it's definitely a good read. So, um, 
clearly a pain point for motor carriers of all types and sizes from the smallest to the largest. So let's get right into it and bring our guests on. Um, we have Nicole McMurtry. Uh, she is the president of USI's Insurance Illinois Transportation Practice and National Transportation Vertical Leader. And we also have Hayden Cardiff. Um, he is the co-founder and chief innovation officer of Idelic. Hey, guys. Welcome. How are you? Excellent. Hey. Doing well. Thanks hey, for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to talk to you about this issue that, uh, like we said at the start, is continually on the list of uh, the top 10 list of issues impacting motor carriers. So we want to get to the bottom of it with you all. But first, before we do that, we want to kind of get to know you. So maybe, Nicole, you want to start us out and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Nicole McMurtry, um, it, 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 for, it, sometimes called Nick the Truck Chick because this is the only place that I, I play is in the transportation business. Um, kind of tripped and fell into insurance about 31 years ago, decided to move 24 years ago uh, to, to come and play with the big boys here in Chicago. And I spent my entire career at USI in the transportation vertical Um uh, kind of interesting background because I've held different positions in the organization, both on the client service side. Um, I've worked on the technical resource team. Um, I'm a certified director of safety. So I've actually been engaged with clients uh, from a loss control and safety standpoint. Um, and now I'm a sales leader at USI. So a little bit diverse background. Um, you know, it's just an interesting, interesting industry. And I don't know that I could do anything else. I'm not sure that I love insurance, but I do love trucking. <laughs> there you go Hayden uh, Hayden we're having him back he he was on an earlier episode if you haven't seen that uh, go back and check it out it was about driver shortage and kind of driver onboarding topics but Hayden why don't you introduce yourself absolutely again thanks for having us guys so Hayden Cardiff founder and chief innovation officer here at Idelic so we like, like I said we provide a driver performance management platform that enables our customers and the fleets that we work with to not only help retain those drivers but make them more productive have greater safety outcomes and really what's near and dear to our hearts make sure that those drivers get home safe each and every night uh, insurance obviously plays a huge uh, role in this because when you have better out safety outcomes you have better grounds for better insurance premiums but in today's environment we'll talk about it's uh, not necessarily always the case or at least as much as fleets want and so uh my background been in the transportation industry for uh you know eight eight uh, coming up on nine years now so it's it it has been a, a fun and exciting journey but uh you talk about uh the, your love for atri i have that same love and realized how impactful they are within the industry and so actually joined the research advisory committee so excited to to be able to go back to uh to uh to meet with my uh Ashford buddies here coming up next week. Uh, so excited for this next uh, this next year of, of study and kind of data that we're the Atri uh, team will be able to provide. So um, I love this industry as well. So just like uh, Nicole, I mean, it, it's it was something that I I uh, kind of found my way into, but uh, it's been it's been fantastic. And you know, sit on the board of the uh, safety committee at the ATA and on the board of governors at NPTC and. Uh, do a lot of engaging and speaking at a lot of these different conferences as well. So it is an industry that's now near and dear to my heart. So I'm excited to dive in and hopefully be able to provide some insight of what we're seeing out in the marketplace today as well. Awesome. There's never a dumb moment, is there, Hayden? It keeps you on your toes. <laughs> there really right? isn't. There Seriously, really isn't. I, I don't know that I could ever do anything different than what I'm doing because you, you almost get addicted to the constant change that is the transportation industry. Yeah, or the phone call, or the phone calls talking about fake urine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, the beautiful part is, and obviously, we'll, we'll, this is going to be a big part of the discussion. But just like the the fact that we get to work with such just terrific professionals with the the drivers, right? And I think that's the. I mean, obviously, like the backbone of not just our economy, but this industry. And, and we, we always talk about it, but uh, man, the drivers are fantastic and getting, getting to engage with them, share stories with them, hear about uh, the wild things that they have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and dealing with us motoring public. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's humbling. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a very great honor to be able to, to work with, uh, work within this industry. 
So Hayden, to that point, um, and, and I'll, I'll be quiet after this, but yeah, there was a period of time there, about 10 years, that I was the the, um, the chairman of the Illinois Professional Truck Driving Championship. And I gained a whole new respect for our drivers that are out there on the road when I could not score as high as they did while I'd operate the yeah. golf course golf cart around the <laughs> like how are they scoring better than me i'm driving something that's 10 times smaller than them um, but what yeah. i loved is, is my son as you know i married into trucking too i have a, i'm married to a third generation trucker um and i'm doing everything i can to make sure my son doesn't end up in this industry because i don't think they get the respect they deserve yeah. um yeah. but he got to with America's road team and got to, to see some of the things that they went through. And it was just really awesome. So, um, yeah, yeah it was don't, fun. don't discount the difficulty of driving a golf cart either. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right. So you heard us lay out at the intro kind of, uh, the, the, this kind of the scope of this issue of rising insurance premium, but give us a sense of kind of how big of an issue we're dealing with here. Are we in crisis mode? Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying crisis because the reality is this. I mean, rates have been increasing for the better part of the last six years. We are, in fact, starting to see some leveling off for the best performing fleets, for the ones that have engaged the use of technology and are utilizing it to its maximum ability. Um, you know, they're hiring the right drivers. If they're hiring lesser experienced drivers, they're having good, solid finishing programs and training programs. So I don't believe we're in crisis mode, evident by the fact that over 100 thousand new motor carriers have came in but we are in a position of now it's time to step back and say is an alternative program structure what i need to look at from a cost containment standpoint um you know we lost a lot of capacity there is new capacity coming back in but those new providers are are doing a little bit more they're more heavily scrutinizing the risks that they're offering up on. And you're also seeing um, more of the tightening, you know, where you used to build a $100 million tower and get blocks at $25 million. Now you're lucky if you can get $5 million um, of a block at a time from people. So I wouldn't go as far as saying crisis, but it's definitely an issue, especially if you're, you're, you're having um, losses and poor SMS scores and roadside violations, and you have a, a high turnover and a challenging driver fleet, then it can get pretty icky and ugly. We've seen some crazy rates out there. When you see $30,000 a truck, you say, well, that one's not going to be around much longer. <laughs> yeah, you know, Nicole, I think you hit it on the head, right? Like it, it comes down to, and obviously, again, this is one of the big topics of today, but it comes down to what you're doing in response to it. Right? Like you, you, the, you mentioned that the rates have been double digit on the rise for the last six, six years. Yeah, that that rate increases happened because carriers on on the whole, right, from a commercial auto standpoint, haven't really turned a profit in almost oh. a decade. And yep. so you're looking at these rising pressures and forces and, and like the nuclear verdicts uh, kind of trend that we're seeing is is here to stay. And I think that's what that to me is. I agree that like, we're not in crisis mode, but I think that we, we need to be very cognizant of where we're at and where this industry and where the country is heading, the litigation landscape isn't changing. If anything, the numbers are going to continue to get inflated and explode. I mean, the billion dollar verdict down in Florida just yes. a few months ago, I mean, that's just unheard of. And just like that is there to set precedent to just continue to grow the numbers. And so what that means for fleets is like, as we start to look at these types of of scenarios in this type of landscape, we have to be very cognizant of how can we stand out as a top tier risk to our insurance carriers and providers, right? How do we start to implement things like driver performance management? How do we start to go in and really highlight and open ourselves up to visibility and scrutiny, knowing that we're doing the right things so we can build confidence with our carrier partners? Those types of scenarios are what's going to help us to start to curb a lot of that increase. But it's, it's, uh, we're definitely not out of the woods. <laughs> no, we're not. Well, and you, you bring up the, the, the nuclear verdicts, and that is part and parcel to what's going on. I mean, when you think of some of these large excess insurance companies, um, their pricing was, you know, fractional for a $25 million limit in comparison to the primary. And they ended up paying, I can't remember which one of the insurers it were, but the one got hit for over $100 million of excess claims in, in one, one given year. But what made me really kind of cringe 
cringe. And I, I'm telling you, I start to open these reports with a glass of wine in one hand and kind of like, <laughs> oh, do I really want to look at this? Was the top 10 verdicts of 2021. 12.5 million was the smallest one in the top 10, ranging all the way up to that $1 billion. What stood out to me, though, and some of this um, that, that's going on right now, there is regional disparity. And Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas are at the top of that list of, holy crap, those states, not yeah. just counties have turned into judicial hellholes. Yeah, it, it is interesting. We did one of the first shows we did uh, on Truck Safe Live was about nuclear verdicts. And we had Steve Bryan on from uh, Blue Wire. And then we had John Esparza from the Texas Trucking Association. Texas, of course, would was always considered a judicial hellhole for those types of verdicts. But they just recently passed legislation that uh, is kind of tort reform type legislation where the idea is that we're going to kind of bifurcate the damages section uh, or, or portions of those trials, so so that the jury has to first find that the motor carrier is liable for the accident at hand before they can then move on to punish them for being an unsafe carrier. So, do you all see that type of legislation, you know, popping up in state to state, maybe kind of uh, at least helping with the issue? I, I think we're definitely seeing more and more focus on it. There's not a state trucking association that we're not members of that I don't have somebody that's on a tort reform committee pushing for that because it is a state by state issue. We're not going to see a federal mandate just saying this is what it's going to be unless it's tried in federal court. And we know that doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, but it, it goes beyond even you know the comparative laws in some of these states. I mean, New York is one of those bat crap crazy states that you, know, you could have somebody hit your vehicle hit somebody hits my my client's truck their insurance pays to to repair the damage to my vehicle and then they turn around and sue me because the driver of the vehicle who hit us got injured and yeah. and they're allowed to collect under that it's it's crazy um, but some of the other stuff driving that is just you know you hear social inflation it's a real thing we live in an environment where they're very anti-corporation. A lot of that goes back to the government bailouts that happened um, and the belief that if you have money or you have more money than the person that was injured, somebody's going to pay. And it's become less of what's right or wrong and more about who has the deeper wallet. Yeah. And again, that's spot on. I think that that mentality is obviously terrifying for fleets. But I think the other side of it is is really what it boils down to like this. Plaintiff's attorneys are taking fleets and putting them on trial as opposed to drivers, right? They're, they're looking for any and every excuse to say that you as a fleet were negligent, you as a fleet were not doing the right things that you needed to do systematically to make sure that the, your drivers as a whole are safe and, and uh, operating in the right way. And so I can't tell you how many horror stories we've heard uh, when we're again, driver was not at fault for the crash. And then the plaintiff's attorney goes in and finds inconsistencies with the hiring practices, with the retention practices, with uh, the progressive discipline, whatever it is, coaching, training for drivers that weren't even involved in the crash. And they're being, and these fleets are now being paraded around highlighting that, look, it, it wasn't this driver, but it doesn't matter. It's It was all of these other drivers and they're next, right? If you don't punish this fleet now, these are the ones society. that are going to continue to terrorize your communities and, and th this fleet needs to be taught a lesson, right? And it's those types of systematic, uh, th those types of systematic processes that all kind of fall under this bucket of driver performance management. Like if you as a fleet aren't, buttoning down those different pieces right from driver uh driver recruiting to onboarding to orientation to uh you know identifying at-risk drivers to coaching performance all those different aspects if you're not tying all them together then you're going to be in a world of hurt when it comes to uh, these Agreed. types of litigations yeah and Nicole, you mentioned the social inflation. I think that kind of factors into it, what Hayden's talking about. It's this idea that we as a society have over time started to shift our mindset about how we treat or, or what we do to bad actors in, in the in the context of litigation, right? So, uh, you know, when we talked about in our nuclear verdict show, uh, you know, back in 2010, these, verdict, these types of verdicts were almost unheard of. But now the average verdict size is something crazy like 8 million or 12 million or something like that. It's just like, we've just had this 
societal shift. And, and, you know, a lot of that, some of that can be controlled by motor carriers, right? Because some of the things driving those verdicts are, are poor safety performance. But a lot of that is, is beyond the control of the motor carrier. It says more about how uh, the plaintiff's bar is acting in litigation, what's being told to the jury. So is that the, is that the kind of idea behind this, um, you know, social inflation? It absolutely is. And what's interesting about it, when you really look at the, the, the crash, um, the crash frequency of large trucks, it's went down over the years. And a lot of that is because of the response um, of, of the, the, the these these juries. Um, people have learned that we have to be more obsessed with safety and they are operating their fleets in a more safe and efficient manner. Um, but it's still not enough. Um, but the things that, you know, um, they they're using um, and it's crazy because if you have technology, but you didn't use it to its fullest capacity they'll use that against you i mean don't 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 put cameras on and then not proactively manage it and just use it for reactive management after a claim um not coupling all of the data that is available between a psp the driver's mvr utilizing previous crash data um their driving behaviors their their their, any any exception reports they're getting if you're not using that it's going to be used against them and people are like okay you have a higher responsibility this is what you do for a living Your, your job is exclusively to operate a big truck on the highway, just like my job is to be an insurance professional. I can't commit insurance fraud when I'm not on duty. So to say you can't have bad driving behaviors, whether you're outside of the truck or inside the truck. Um, so I think it's a, a little bit of that. Um, somebody's got to pay regardless of fault. But then I also think about how sophisticated the plaintiff bar has really become. Our defense counsel, they're great. There's a lot of great defense attorneys out there, but they don't strategize the same way that plaintiff attorneys do. And they're handling a heck of a lot more cases in most circumstances than the plaintiff attorneys are. Um, and they are really you know, trying to get those cases negotiated and closed as soon as they can, because there's really no incentive to them. Yeah. They know if it drags on longer and longer, it's going to cost their clients more money. So some of that has been um, you know, a challenge. And I think that was one of the things that they highlighted in the impact that nuclear verdicts were having on the trucking industry. Yeah. And like Steve told us in our nuclear verdict show, uh, the plaintiff's bar, they have classes on how to prosecute these cases. They've got mm-hmm. books written on yeah. how to, I mean, it's the reptile theory it's is essentially. Yeah. Conferences. Yeah. 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 No. And they share no. depositions that were taken. I mean, they're oh, very yeah. vocal with each other because, you know, I mean, I never thought in my career I'd see a billion dollar settlement. Yeah. And we all know yeah. that those yeah. two motor carriers aren't going to be able to pay it because they didn't have limits that exceeded a million dollars. But the message they sent was loud and clear. It's monopoly money. Um, yeah. but and, it, and the biggest thing um, with that one billion dollar verdict you're right. That's not going to be collected upon. But mm-hmm. this this heavily contributes to the social social inflation theory yeah. that's discussed in the Atri study because um, the plaintiff's attorney that gets a judgment like that, any kind of nuclear verdict, which is widely accepted as $10 million or more, they're going to get no. that uh, publicity, not to say all this money is coming to me. They're, they're doing that so they can desensitize the public yeah. to these types of numbers. So when the general public gets on a jury, they're okay hearing $14 million. They're okay hearing $16 million because... Heck, there was a billion dollar yeah, verdict. Now we got so a billion this is, dollar. This is yeah. this is pennies. Yeah. Well, yeah. And some of the other some of the other things that I think have came into play too is this litigation financing. And I'm sure everybody's heard of it. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Um, but you know, people people who have you know gen, genuinely been injured in a crash, they they want to get back to normal as soon as possible in most circumstances. And if they can't get back to work and they have no other means of income, they want that claim to settle out sooner than later. Um, so if you have an attorney that's willing to finance all that, and some of them even give advances um, to what they believe they're going to collect, well, that that then incentivizes the plaintiff to keep these claims dragging on for longer and longer. And then add that, you know, we've seen a lot of cases of cutting going on that probably shouldn't have those doctor, doctor, attorney relationships. That's contributed to the problem as well. So, Nicole, you touched on something that I think is really, really important here. And you talked about how one of the most impactful things that fleets can do is start to leverage all of the data at their disposal because the plaintiff's attorneys are doing that against them, right? And this is one of the things when we talk to fleets, like really trying to help them understand you've got to take your data and push back, right? Like you're getting you're getting hit from every angle. You've got your ELDs, your cameras, the FMCSA, your accidents, crashes, claims, uh, you, LMS providers, like every one of these systems are essential, but they're throwing off just enormous amounts of data 
none of that, none of which talks to one another, none of which is tied together. And so if you look historically or look in retrospect, yeah, like you can see a pretty grim picture after a crash. But how do you start to leverage and use that data proactively to prevent those crashes from happening in the first place? Or at least have some sort of documented trail saying, I knew this risk. I remedied this risk by giving proactive coaching. And then if that driver got into a crash after that, you have your process covered, right? Exactly. And so, and so this and is one of the things. of any exceptions to that rule. I mean, exactly. that's the key. If you say this is what we're going to do and you don't do it, then you need to document why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, exactly. You even have to do it. <laughs> exactly. And so that's one of the things like as, as we, you know, when we talk to fleets, that's our, our biggest message is, look, you've got to start to consolidate, integrate all of your different data and systems together into right. one place. Right. That gives right. you that tactical view, that single pane of glass. But it can't start. It can't stop there. You've got to be able to leverage things like machine learning, predictive analytics, different ways to take that data and make sense of it. Now get insights out of that to say, look, I now know exactly who my most at-risk drivers are. I know exactly why they're at risk, allowing me and my team to get buy-in on what we're coaching them and then allow the drivers to get buy-in on why they need to change their behaviors. And then lastly, they need to be able to have a way to now go in and actually provide coaching to that driver, all of it documented, have clear, consistent coaching messaging that's distributed out to all of their drivers. Like when you have that kind of holistic plan and you have that kind of, uh, kind of scalable, uh, scalable platform, you can now really make sure and cover all your bases when you're going into litigation, feel so much more confident and secure, regardless of whether your driver's at fault or not. Now you have the data and understanding to say, you know what, like our process is consistent. We are not we're not going to be left out to dry when it comes to plaintiff's attorneys trying to attack who we are as a fleet in our yeah. internal safety culture. James is asking in practice, are you seeing increased settlement amounts due to the fear of a nuclear verdict in litigation that would drastically increase loss run values even for less severe events and thus premiums? Is that something you're seeing, Nicole? Absolutely. Absolutely, we are, especially if there is, um, you know, things like Hayden is talking about. If there is some hair around the claim or something that we believe could, you know, up jumps the devil um, as we go into mediation or we, you know, decide to go to trial, which let's be honest, a lot of them don't end up getting as far as a courtroom. Um, yeah, you will see that, um, especially in certain venues. If it's in Louisiana, <laughs> you can pretty much yeah. guarantee your insurer is just going to be writing out the check and trying to get the heck out of it as soon as they possibly can. Um, yeah. So I think venue will come into play, but it all depends. Um, you know, there are uh, the vast majority of the insurers will lock arms with you and, and go to battle if they believe that that we can we can win. And there's not going to be something that's going to equal extra zeros down the line, yeah. uh, because let's be very frank. Most motor carriers do not carry more than a million dollars of limits. Yeah. And let's also be real honest about how far a million dollars goes. <laughs> yeah. Or anywhere anymore. Well, and then Brian said early on here, uh, even more have left the excess market. I think that's one of the things we saw Absolutely. in the Atru study, right, was with the volatility in the excess market, we've seen a lot of excess insurers either, either leave the market or we've seen a lot of motor carriers who have traditionally carried excess Absolutely. insurance uh, lower their excess in order to try and combat the the rising premiums. But, but the interesting uh, thing I think we took away from that report is even though they've they've reduced their coverage, their premiums still have gone up, which is just crazy. I want to go back to one of the things we were talking about, which is technology, because I think uh, you, both of your points are exactly right. It's something that Jared and I are always cautioning clients on. We had a whole show on uh, that was titled Drinking from a Fire Hose. It's this idea that, you know, it's it, now that we're putting more and more technology into the truck, we've got all of this data coming at us, terabytes of, of data. And in my view, and I know Jared's view, it, it if you're not doing anything with that data, it's almost worse than not having the data to begin with, right? Because then you're putting yourself in a position where you're going into court and you're having to explain why you have all, you know, access to all of this great data that's showing that driver John Doe shouldn't have been on the road, but you weren't even looking at it. Now you're going to have to explain why, why you did yeah. that. No, I almost... 
heartbreaking events. Tell yeah. me why you didn't do anything with these 170 heartbreaking yeah. events. Well, crap, I didn't even know that my system could give me that information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brandon, here's the thing. And this is, this is, this is to me a really hot, a really hot topic and, and a very important issue to dive into because you're, you're exactly right. Like if you have the data and you're not doing anything about it, that's not good. Like I'm like, just call it, just call it what it is. That's not good. But I have heard from other fleets in the industry that, that they are using that as the argument to say, well, then I don't want the technology. I don't want the data because I know that today we don't have the process or the people or whatever internally to be able to effectively look at and manage that. And to me, that mentality is worse. I think that is one of the, well, that is one of the scariest things that you can hear from a fleet is, hey, you know what? You're right. There's just too much liability in having a data, so I don't want it. Yeah. The issue with that and, and why that's a incredibly backwards and kind of false mentality is plaintiff's attorneys know that that technology and that data is readily available. So if you are actively turning it off or not investing, yeah, yeah, exactly. And affordable, right? If you're actively turning it off, saying like, I have an ELD and no cameras, and I'm just turning the telematics, the harsh breaking, the speeding alerts off of my ELDs and only looking at hours of service, you're handing the plaintiff's attorney a negligence claim on a silver platter. If you're not investing in these technologies that are affordable and readily available, then you are going to be found negligent because- And that other carriers are implementing. Exactly, right? Because right. the, the, the minimum standard has raised. And so if you don't if you don't do the things that you need to do, if you're not investing in the technology, then you're going to be seen as below that standard. So the, the question not the question now isn't should I have the information or data or system or technology or not? It's what do I now do to make sure that I'm using it effectively? Do I go out and get a another platform, another system to help me wrangle all the data and make sense of it? Do I, you know, do I hire people internally to, uh, what can I do now to make sense of it? Because you can't bury your head in the sand anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, Hayden, 100%. I think one of the threshold issues that I've seen that's problematic for carriers is they'll get their hands on an ELD platform, say, that has telematics offered or kind of included or it's a nominal fee. And they say, hey, that sounds great. And they just go about their business with the ELD. And in the background, all this telematics data is reporting. And sometimes it's even a scorecard for the driver. The driver will have an F. <laughs> and, and there will be no history of coaching. That's a huge problem. So yeah. carriers, when they're looking into telematics, ELDs in particular, they need to understand what all is being recorded. That That's huge. Turning it off, that's, uh, that's a conversation that can be had at a later time, but at least understanding <laughs> what's being <laughs> offered. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you too. So in the ATRI study, there wasn't a direct correlation between putting safety technology on a commercial motor vehicle and a reduction in premium. I understand that replacing the vehicle may be more expensive with the safety technology added on, but I was a little surprised to see that there wasn't kind of a direct correlation with adding safety technology. <laughs> that's that's a tough question, but please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can I can talk on this for a while. So Nicole, if you want to start, go for it. <laughs> I, I got I have I have uh, good insight and strong opinions here. So yeah, there, there's a couple of things. Number one, um, you know, depending on what that safety technology is, um, you know, whether it's let's talk forward-facing cameras exclusively. Okay. Um, forward-facing cameras don't always result in better driving behaviors immediately. Okay. And when you have a client who has a self-insured retention and most of the crashes that may now be avoided are, are the ones that are being paid within their self-insured retention, they're automatically getting the benefits of that technology and in, in crash reduction costs because they're not issuing as many checks. Um, it takes a while for it to catch up. I mean, let's be very honest, the insurance industry traditionally looks back into previous mm -hmm. behaviors and past losses before they start giving you any type of premium reduction. Simply putting cameras in the trucks are not enough. Simply putting in other telematics are not enough. You have to be able to show them what you're doing with that data and how it's going to equal a safer fleet, or you're going to have to wait until you start getting some time under your belt to show that you're actually seeing crash reduction. Now, I'm going to joke a little bit because I'm, I am a fan of telematics, but um, I also travel quite a bit. And I'm used to Lola. That's my expedition. She's she's beautiful. Um, my 2016 expedition. And she's got certain safety technologies on her that I'm very used to. 
when I travel, I always try to be in a Ford because I'm comfortable with their safety technology. But there was a time when I was in Dallas that I had this beautiful Jaguar, Jaguar SUV. And this thing was buzzing at me and pulling me back to the left and <laughs> slowing down when I wasn't. I couldn't figure it out. So we've actually seen when there is not training, when you correlate that into driving big trucks, when you don't have solid training during orientation or somewhere along the way, if you're switching the types of vehicles that these drivers are in, if you're not training them on how to properly use that technology, it can be incredibly distracting and actually increase your crash costs yeah. if yeah. you're not properly yeah. training them. I want to know what rental company you go to to get Jaguars. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I always, when I go to Columbus, Ohio, they have my beautiful black on black Cobra. Um, <laughs> traveling she, has, she has her own spot. It's, it's her own. It's like, it's not like go to, go to, go to spot a 16. It's like, yeah. no, no, go, go to, to Nicole's Nicole. spot. It's like those Tom Brady commercials with the Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hayden, yeah, let's no, hear, let's hear the wind up here. Yeah. No, well, Nicole, I think you, you, you hit it on the head when you said, just because you add technology doesn't mean you're going to get the outcomes you want. Right. And that's, that's the big reason like you, you, for so many years, insurance carriers gave premium reduction discounts and subsidies on cameras and other telematic devices because they were, they were sold and bent on the fact that if we, if you put a camera in the truck, you're going to decrease liability. Drivers are going to get better coaching, all those different things. And they didn't see the impact when it came to severity and frequency, they didn't see the impact that they were looking for. And it's because just adding the technology alone doesn't do anything, right? This is one of the things I, I, I keep going back to driver performance management. Like you have to be able as a fleet to systematically coach and engage your drivers when yeah. you see those challenges or issues arise. And it can't be just off of one siloed piece of data, right? If you have a driver with, one harsh braking alert versus a driver with three harsh braking alert. Who's it na- who are you naturally going to coach? Driver with three. That just makes sense. Unless you realize the other driver has a moving violation, a backing accident, two speeding alerts. Now who's most at risk? It's this other driver, right? Like yeah. you have to see that holistic picture. You have to effectively identify that risk before major events. You have to be able to then go in and coach and, and really operationalize your safety So like most fleets that we talk to have just a small handful of titled safety professionals, right? That's just how the, uh, that's how the industry is. And that's fine. But then when you look at and compare how many operations team members, driver managers, dispatchers, terminal managers, it's, it's dozens to one, right? Of how many operations team members or how many safety team members, how in the world can you as a fleet realistically say that you have a strong safety culture if you don't align safety and operations, if operations doesn't have ownership over safety KPIs, if operations doesn't have ownership over coaching and safety messaging to their drivers that they manage. Like if you don't have that alignment, how in the world are you going to get a bottoms up driver safety culture? You're not, it's not going to happen. Right. And so you, you have to have the, you have to, you have to actually be able to effectively go in and change behaviors Right to be able to get the outcomes, and this is obviously I'm, I get all fired up on this one. Uh, <laughs> like, as a, as a company, okay. we're actually you're not wrong though. You're right. You know, you're as, right. as a company, we're actually getting ready to start. Uh, we're actually creating an MGA and going out to ensure our customers because they're not getting the value in the markets or the the they're not seeing the benefit of their safety outcomes as quickly as they need. So we're going to do it for them, right? And we see like with with you know with our customers who use, uh, you know, who use these types of uh, methodologies really focus on driver performance management. They're seeing 20, 30, 40% reduction in frequency within the first year uh, of kind of working together. And, and like, those are the kind of things that you want them to get credit for. And they oftentimes don't because it is such a lagging indicator. It's um, usually it's usually year two when you can start yeah. because they always discount the, the most immediate year. Um, yeah. You know, they call the most immediate year, the green year, they, yeah. they discount the most immediate year because they expect that down the road that they're going to, yeah. you're going to turn. But there are new insure tech programs out there that are using the telematics data right now from a real time standpoint to, to evaluate the risk um, because yeah. they do believe to your point, it is about the driver's behaviors and your driving behaviors. That's yeah. what we should base 
our future pricing on is what our real-time driving behaviors are right now. Um, because if you have made corrective action, you've, you've, you've drank the water, you, you've sprinkled the magic fairy dust, and you said, I've found religion. <laughs> ye, I'm going to get on board with this. It takes forever to dig out of that hole. And, yeah. and some yeah. of those new insure tech programs have really done a nice job of figuring out how to um, let them reap some of those benefits immediately instead of, you know, two or three years down the yeah. line. Well, I think that's um, what fleets, at least in my experience, are missing. It's like they they get so focused on one aspect of it. I've, I've put this technology in my truck, so why am I not seeing the premium reduction? But I think Brian, and, and this is kind of echoing what Hayden said, is right. I, it, you know, safety starts from the top down, and it has to be a holistic approach. It's not agreed. just the putting the technology in the truck that's going to yep. uh, do do the thing, bring the premiums down. you got to take a holistic approach. There's got to be buy-in at all levels. And and we've got to you know ultimately get our safety performance uh, back under control essentially. Yeah. So I, I do want to go back to a question that you asked early on, which was you know is this you know a critical issue? Is this a huge problem? Because we've talked about some of those motor carriers going out of business because they could not afford their insurance. And I will tell you that when you look at the the motor carriers that have went out of business because they couldn't afford their insurance, many of them shared the same risk characteristics: really high SMS scores. Um, you know, regulatory compliance was nil. I mean, repetitive violations. You can look at it. I call it the dating profile. If you don't know what cab is you need to know what cab is because it's the first thing every insurance company looks at when your your account comes across their desk and it's turning into a dating profile the swipe left the swipe right um you know, so you see that, you know, there's been a lot of lack of regulatory compliance and you can see that there's there's poor driver qualification, um, uh, poor qualification um, management there. They're not managing their drivers when you're seeing the driver didn't have the proper endorsements or the, the driver didn't have a CDL even. Um, I've seen a lot of drug and alcohol um, violations popping up. Geez, I wonder why that is as they, they legalize things around the country. <laughs> Makes you pause. Um, but, you know, claim frequency and severity issues. If you yeah. write in write trucking insurance in this, if you write trucking insurance, you anticipate there's going to be a bad day. And that's the thing that a lot of people forget about is you have to build a little bit of a piggy bank. Um, you yeah. can't have a million dollar claim for three years in a row and think yeah. your insurance company is not going to raise your rates. But those anomalies, you should have an expectation that if you're doing the right thing, those anomalies aren't going to continue. Um, but you know, lack of technology and improper use of that, the poor driver quality and high turnover, those all seem to be inherent. But there's also been another group of those motor carriers that have went out of business because they've had settlements that are not nuclear verdicts um, that are just in excess of their policy limits. You know, $4 million here, $5.8 million there, and they carried $1 or $2 yeah. million limits and they were forced to liquidate. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll go ahead, Hayden. Oh, I, I was just going to say, like, one of the things that we oftentimes don't hear about, but does play into this conversation of rising insurance rates is driver turnover. Every carrier that I talk to, one of the biggest factors that they look at outside of obviously uh, historical historical claims is that driver turnover rate. And that was one of the things that you know when I first started hearing that on a consistent basis, it was a little uh, it was a little surprising to me just at how important of a decision criteria that was for these for these carriers. But as I started to to really think about it and dive in, it makes all the sense in the world, right? When you start to look at what who are your highest risk drivers to get into a crash? It's your least tenured drivers, right? And that's not to say that brand new drivers out of a driving school, you can have a 30 year driver who now moves to your fleet. They are, are historically looking in kind of a data driven uh, response. Like they are some of your highest risk drivers just because they're- Yeah. And and so when you start to look at that, you start to dive in like, why, why is, why are there, why is there so much turnover? And as, you know, as we talk to all our customers, all the fleets that we work with, vast majority of turnover happens in the first three months, yep. first three months of a driver coming onto your fleet. What does that tell you? That tells you that as, as fleets, we are historically bad at separating orientation from onboarding. Those are two very different things and we don't do a good job of onboarding, right? We don't do a good job of expectation setting and handing off and understanding what the expectations were set from 
recruiting to orientation to the operations teams for onboarding and understanding that onboarding isn't just that five, you know, three to five day orientation period or a two week period after where there, you know, you've got a, a driver trainer in the truck. It's six to 12 months. That driver isn't fully bought in and understand and, and assimilated into your culture and your fleet for at least six to 12 months. So how are you, how are you enabling your driver managers to connect with your uh, to connect with those drivers? Asking personal and 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 uh, kind of family questions to get to know that driver better, deepening that relationship. Again, understanding the expectations that they have, and then having the data and visibility to be able to see: Are is that driver on a week to week basis on the path to meet those expectations yeah. around mileage, home time? Um, all the you know, all the things that they care about, yeah, right, and being proactive in that engagement. So, like that, that's something that we focus really heavily with our customers. And, and as we start to do that, and our as they start to to actually implement those better professional development plans and onboarding plans, they see the driver turnover go down. And funny enough, their safety outcomes improve yeah. when turnover <laughs> goes down. Safety improves. Like it, 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 both of those things are incredibly. Right. And their crashes improve. Yeah. And their crashes improve. Yeah. I think James is kind of echoing this point. He says safety is often bogged down with other tasks such as recruiting, HR, IFTA, et cetera. Safety is often seen as a financial liability. This coincides with Hayden's point regarding the ratio between ops and safety. Yeah. Yep. Let me, let me ask one quick question about excess coverage here. So in the Atri study, they pointed out that excess coverages are kind of going down, right? I heard someone make the point the other day that in theory, um, to your point earlier, Nicole, most of the plaintiff's attorneys are settlers. The vast majority mm-hmm. are settlers. They want to settle cases. They don't want to actually litigate cases and put them in front of a jury for obvious reasons. Um, and they want to sink their teeth into these big, juicy excess policies. So if the Atri study is indicating that excess policies are you know, being reduced, do you think that's going to have a chilling effect at some point in the future on, you know, the plaintiff's bar going after these uh, nuclear verdicts aggressively? No, because when you look at <laughs> when you look at those nuclear verdicts, think about those nuclear verdicts and who those motor carriers were. And the vast majority of them didn't carry limits anywhere near the yeah. amounts that they settled for. And you've also yeah. got to remember that not all states are insurance limits disclosable until you get in front of a jury. You know, you might in some states, you don't get to share that information. We're not obligated. We know in Florida, as soon as a crash happens, we're going to be required to provide copies of every and any liability policy they have. Yeah. And the assumption, though, in any state is that there is an excess policy that's going to be available. Otherwise, you know, a plaintiff's attorney doesn't want to own a trucking company. Um, <laughs> no doubt about it. So I heard that point of view. I thought it was kind of interesting. I wanted to get your take no, on it. So Hayden, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, to that same point, I agree. Nicole, Nicole said it really well. It was like, it's not going to change. And I know that these plaintiff's attorneys want to settle just because they want to have quick turn. They don't want to get bogged down for years and years in litigation. But I will tell you, they're not afraid to do that. If nope, you don't want to settle, not. they will go to court, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and they're not shy at jumping on that train. They're not going to take less just to not go to court. They right. will try to stick you for as much as possible every single time. That's their mentality. So That's going. on the defendant. Some plaintiff's attorneys that have a major aversion to litigating will actually ship that case off to another law firm. And they'll still get a percentage of it, but they won't have to litigate it because some of them really just will not do it. Exactly. And and Nicole, I mean, even even when you have the juicy juice on the on the on the plaintiff, sometimes like again, what we talked about it earlier, the jury doesn't care. They don't care. They honestly don't care. They see I can't. We've seen cases where uh, the 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 fleet's truck was legally parked on the side of the road to avoid inclement weather. The car in the other lane hits an ice patch, crosses the median, goes all the way across traffic, strikes the truck. The driver, the father, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, ejected out of the car, paralyzed. Like so you have all of this like yeah. terrible thing. None of it was the driver's fault. Yeah. But right. then the jury sees that. And truck even shouldn't the have been driver, there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Structure. But the, the advice I always give Hayden is nothing good ever happens on the side of the road. If you're on the yeah. side of the road, your hazards better be on, your triangles better be out, and, and get off the side yeah. of the road as soon as you can. Because yeah. it really, I could give you a hundred examples yeah. of that. Re- regardless uh, of the yeah, exactly. And regardless of the scenario, if there is zero fault of the truck driver, it doesn't matter. The, if the jury hears that case, they hear the father is now disabled. Who's gonna who's going to feed the kids, all of these things. They don't care that the the driver could have been drunk. It doesn't matter. They don't, they don't care. They just see who's going to pay for this. Someone has to pay for this. Oh, truck company. Oh, they've got dollars. They can pay for this. That's exactly. So I know we've got six minutes left and what we really came to talk about. (laughs) We can go with us, right? Um, How do we mitigate some of this? What are the insurance companies looking at? And you've already heard me talk about, you know, some of these insure tech programs that are out there, the Nirvanas, the the, the coffees, the um, HDVIs that are doing things very, very differently. And they're excited, exciting and interesting because they're looking at things a different way. And I think we need to. Um, The the industry has to evolve and not always be a rear view mirror looking type industry. We have to start looking forward. Um, But there's some things that, you know, we've already talked about, and I'm just going to stay kind of, you know, very high level. Um, But these are the things that are going to help you mitigate those costs and understand, and I get this all the time, where you have the driver that's had, you know, multiple violations for hours of service. Geez, Jim is my best driver. And then you start working backwards and showing him how much he's costing that motor carrier in downtime. And when they get put out of service, having to flip things out, um, you know, when they start seeing him as the expense that he or she really is, instead of seeing this as my guy that just gets the load there, it's a different conversation. Um, You know, but you have to be safety focused. Top to bottom, you have to be safety focused. Those are the motor carriers that aren't getting 30% increases year over year. They're just not uh, because everybody is fighting for that type of business because they they operate a really well-run organization. Um, You need to be actively involved in your claims process. If you think you're just going to turn your claim into your insurance company and walk away and say, have a nice day, and you're going to get the best defense available, shame on you. Don't do that because these 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 claims adjusters are doing the very best that they can, but most people aren't waking up in the morning and say, damn, I really want to be a large liability claims adjuster. You know, they're, they're handling 150 to 200 cases, some of them, and when they hand it over to defense counsel, they're putting it on autopilot and, and hoping that defense counsel is doing what they can to, to minimize that. I cannot tell you how many times in the last year I've heard we're going to mediation tomorrow and defense counsel wants to have a conference call to talk about this case because they haven't really looked at it yet. What the heck, right? You have to be actively involved in those claims. You got to hire the right drivers. I know, you know, we could argue, is there driver shortage? Is there driver distribution issues? Is there a combination thereof? But you got to hire the right drivers. Not telling you to take a pass on those that might be borderline, but set expectations Hire what you expect and monitor them and don't violate that. And if you do document why we hire our own problems. You know, when I have a client call and say, Nicole, I knew this was coming. I was waiting for the shoe to drop. I say, shame on you. If you say to me, this driver was one of my best drivers. He had a clean record, never was receiving violations, didn't have any safety issues. That's when I say, that's why you buy insurance. Bad crap happens to good people every single day. Um, establish those good policies, those safety procedures, those policies, um, remedial measures, and live by them. And if you're using technology, for the love of gosh, understand the capacity and capability of it. Use it and make sure you have a data retention policy that supports it in the event of a crash as well. Yeah. Um, and pay attention to your contracts. I mean, I, I hate to say it. You want to mitigate your risk right now. It is a motor carrier's market. <laughs> I would be renegotiating every contract I had right now yeah. um, because when it's a shipper's market, you know, they, they want $10 million of coverage and everything else. Really pay attention to what you're being responsible for in those contracts. Um, that's how you mitigate some of those costs. Um, I can jump into recommendations or I can be quiet unless you ask some questions. <laughs> well, let's give it, let's hear your recommendations. Cause then I want to hear Hayden's recommendations and then maybe we'll just wrap it up with those. So some of the recommendations, um, undoubtedly 
in the last two years, especially since uh, since COVID um, started, because everybody's tight on capacity, I am seeing people starting their renewal process way too late. You cannot be starting your renewal process t minus three weeks from your renewal and expect to get the best of best of, of what's out there. You have to be starting by having a conversation with your agent at least 120 days out from your renewal. Do a review of all the things that the the insurance companies are looking at: your roadside violations, your losses, your drivers. Um, and and the, the quality of their records and anything else that might come into play. But you have to start at that 120-day mark to start planning and thinking about what are some of the other options I want to look at. We're seeing a lot of motor carriers looking at higher deductibles, a lot of motor carriers looking at captives, some of them actually reducing deductibles because they've shrank their fleet size. But if you want to you know really evaluate those programs, you need to have the benefit of time. And let's not forget, a lot of these insurance companies are in the same position that us agents are, um, that a lot of a lot of different offices are, they are very, I want to say short staffed, but because they're remote, they don't have the same capabilities that they do when they're normally in the office. Um, don't shop every year. We have clients that think the only way you're going to get in a, a good program negotiated is if you go out and shop that program every single year. I'm here to tell you it has a counter effect. I cannot tell you how many times we get declinations because a motor carrier has went out to market every single year. They have made it strictly a price play. I get it. We're in a price sensitive business, but motor carrier insurers are looking for partnership. They don't want to, to be in business with somebody that has been with five different insurance carriers in five years, because you know what? They know that they're probably not going to make money on that. It's like you're building the piggy bank for your rainy day. And while it may satisfy your short-term needs, you're not thinking long-term strategy when you do that. So don't be jumping around every year. Um, you know, evaluate your de- different deductibles. Don't just think about the premium savings. Think about your expected losses. Part of that report that you were talking about earlier, you know, the impact that uh, the rising insurance is having, if you look at as deductibles go up, what has traditionally went down with the paid losses? It's came down. It's a lot more painful when a motor carrier has to write their own check out for that truck that they hit. Yeah, I thought that was a crazy finding that they reduce coverage, uh, but then they get safer because they're now worried about it coming out of their own pockets. Right. Or they reduce or or they'll increase their deductible Deductible. and now... Yeah, as they're increasing that because they have to pay it. Now it helps improve cash flow. Yeah. And because it improves cash flow, that allows you to reinvest in different safety technologies or put it back into your business to better manage those losses. I'd rather you take a $25,000 SIR and invest in Idelic um, to help you manage that than take a first dollar program and say, well, you know, we don't have enough yeah, money to exactly. pay for it. So it had um, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. 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 You know, I wouldn't disagree road- with you. Right. Yeah. Monitor your roadside compliance scores. You heard me talk about the dating profile. If you haven't seen your cab report, um, plaintiff attorneys have access to this too. And it basically emulates what um, SMS would look like if it was still publicly available. It'll see your red ISS. And there's a lot of insurance companies out there that if you're red, you are a hard and fast no. They won't even consider it regardless of the story. Um, But you also need to be able to tell that story. Don't don't just send it out. And this is where I think USI does a very, very good job for their clients is the narrative that we create and how we take our analytics, you know, pull it all together and tell the story to the to the marketplace and say, this is why you want to do business with this. I get it. You can see all of these bad things and these challenges they've had, but here's all the things they're doing and why you should take a shot at this. If you're just sending, your agent is just sending out the application saying, hey, see the attached application quotes are due by this date. I want $4,000 a unit. I'm pretty sure it goes decline as soon as they see it. Yeah. Um, you have to be a professional storyteller in this market right now to give them yeah. comfort because what these underwriters are seeing is $1 billion verdicts, $25 million verdicts, $12.5 million verdicts. Um, so it, it's that simple. Start early, start early, be strategic. Don't don't think you're going to get the best results by shopping every single year and playing people against each other. Um, yep, shop every couple of years. Um, I like that, James. You're absolutely right. Higher deductibles also mean the carrier will report less of the insurance company. Um, yep, you're correct. In some cases, if you've got authority to do that from the insurer, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, And just be aware of the different things the insurance companies are looking at. Great points, Nicole. Hayden, you want to wrap us up with uh, some recommendations from, from your perspective? Absolutely. So first and foremost, as far as lowering risk, you've got to start to operationalize safety, right? This, this concept of having operations teams 
own safety KPIs, own safety conversations, and be able to have the, the power and the onus to be able to go in and coach drivers proactively and predictively. And that really wraps up into the overarching sentiment of driver performance management. This is one of the things that we see fleets um, spend way too few uh, time and resources on, which is helping your drivers to be productive and safe. Right. And that starts from the top down and being able to understand the communication across all your different departments, making sure that the data is flowing and integrated across those different systems. Right. ELDs, cameras, FMCSA, dispatch, uh, HR, LMS platforms, all of that has to has to tie together. For, so everyone has visibility across all those different systems. And then you have to be able to, from a process standpoint, have everything dialed in and work together. So you have to be able to leverage that data, use things like machine learning, predictive analytics to highlight who's most at risk and why. That should funnel into your coaching process. And you know that, hey, we're going to put this driver on a three-week performance improvement plan. And these are the two different people that are going to engage with that driver across that time frame. Here's what they're going to talk about, the specific coaching points. It has to be systematic and understood. How that, how that engages with your progressive discipline process, as well as your awards and recognition process. How you start to make sure that your retention policy on who you keep as a driver, Nicole highlighted this well, also lines up to your recruiting standards, right? And you're, you're documenting well why you're hiring or not hiring certain drivers and that those documented processes and those, uh, those reasons make it across and, and line up with your retention uh, strategy. So all of that from a overarching process standpoint, that is driver performance management. That is helping your drivers to understand what their expectations are and meet those expectations on a daily basis. And once you start to do that, your retention improves, safety improves, claims go down, and all of that together allows you to go out and have a much more compelling uh, story that you know, Nicole and her team can help you craft when you go out to market to get better rates. Well, thanks to you both. We're obviously out of time here. Great conversation. Uh, great insight from both of you. Hey, before we wrap up here, tell us where people can find out about you or your services and what you got going on. Nicole, you want to uh, start us off here? Absolutely. www.usi.com. Easy enough. You should be able to find my contact information out there. Awesome. Yeah. Hayden? Same here. Hayden at idelic.com if you want to reach out directly. Uh, but you can find all kinds of information and content around driver performance management and uh, operationalizing safety within idelic.com. I-D-E-L-I-C.com. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. Jared, you want to wrap things up here? Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I feel like we could have used an extra half hour <laughs> yeah, no on the show. Um, so um, look out for the blasts on our next show, which is going to be March 30th at 3 o'clock Eastern time. Um, we're going to be talking about driver pay issues and the new driver apprenticeship program. We're going to have on Leah Shaver of the National Transportation Institute and Lindsey Trent of Next Gen Trucking. Yeah, and then also one thing we wanted to mention, uh, something that we're super excited about, we're in the early planning stages of putting on our own virtual fleet compliance summit. So we wanted to run a real, uh, real quick uh, teaser here. So here we go. Be on the lookout for that. We're going to be uh, probably opening registration for that at the end of March. We're, like I said, still in the early planning stages, getting all of our speakers lined up. It's going to be a great event. It's going to be all about risk mitigation, uh, a bunch of practical tips for motor carriers to, to help reduce the risk. So we will be posting about that here soon coming up. Uh, anything else, Jerry? No, I'm really excited about that summit. It's going to be a lot more talking from our great guests, just like there yes. was today. Less talking from us. Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of great topics a lot of great guests so anyway i think with that we will wrap things up here we'll see you next time thanks